podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On this episode, we have Sidav and Portia with St. Oshun the uh, artist duo, and they are from the Wisconsin area, uh, Milwaukee area originally, and now are out in California. So welcome, and thanks for being here, you two. Thanks, Allison. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So will you please tell us, first of all, like, how how, how did you get out to um, California? How long have you been there? And tell us um, about what you're doing. You want to go ahead or you want me to? You go ahead. <laughs> all right. So we moved out here about three months ago. Uh, we live in Hollywood, uh, and it's, I mean, I don't know how quickly I can do this. I'll do this as quickly as I can. It started <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> it started out with a letter to Stevie Wonder. And if you want to ask a question about that later, we can talk about that. But through a letter to Stevie Wonder, we met our mentor out here. And his number one piece of advice was, you guys have a really big vision, and so you need to be in L.A. Uh, in order to do what it is that you want to do, you're going to need to be able to connect with people out here uh, and you're going to need to be able to really network well. And if we're going to pitch you as these great artists, you've got to, you've got to be in the place where I can, I can show you around and where I can introduce you to people. So hence we got out here three months ago. You asked how we got here. It was in a large Penske van. <laughs> That's literally how. With our car, <laughs> with our car. towing our car right behind us. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. And so literally you got out there in in the Penske van, but figuratively, I mean, or actually you got out there through the letter to Stevie Wonder. So how did that work? Like, what is that like? You just decided, did you know Stevie Wonder? Well, we, we, we had a, no, we did not know Stevie Wonder. It was, it was a bit of a, a homework assignment challenge from our, um, he was like a, life coach and business coach for, uh, artists and musicians. Okay. And, um, we leaped out on faith to even afford this guy. He was amazing, but he was, he would have us do like the craziest of things, you know, like asking us our goals, but then saying, you know, the day I was like, Oh yeah, I want to win a Grammy. And he's like, well, how do you go about that? What's the first step? <laughs> you know? And I'm yeah. like, I didn't even think that, you know, all I had to do was look up Grammy.com and figure out how to become a member, you know, how much that costs. But um, one of the crazy things he had us do was he said, I want you to pick a, an artist that is alive right now that has influenced you. And I want you to write 10 letters to them, handwritten letters. And then he's like, I want you to figure out 10 ways to get those letters to them. Wow. So I'm going to let you take over this part of it because you know more of the details than I do. He picked Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Uh, and so the first few letters, of course, are easy, right? You uh, you look up his A&R person, you send one. You look up his manager, you send him one. He owns a radio station, sent a letter to there. So it was probably four, I think four letters were pretty easy. And then you have to start getting creative. So I remember we played jazz in the park. 
And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to drop a letter in the middle of the audience. Okay. And it might not. Then uh, as I began to realize, I'm going to actually have to start asking people. As crazy as it sounds, I have to start asking people, hey, do you know anybody that would be able to get a letter to Stevie Wonder from? So through that process, I met one of his trumpet players. I met his bass player. Uh, and I met... And this is all through social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you and just I, put a message out there saying like, hey, who out there knows Stevie Wonder? No, I, I literally actually messaged people, everyone, all of my friends, literally. Individual messages. Individually said, hey, Allison, how's it going? I'm wow. wondering. You know any way? Do you know anybody that would have a means of getting a letter to Stevie Wonder, even if it's somebody that you think might know, or even if somebody comes to mind, it's okay. Even if you think it's not a, sh- a long shot, please just let me know. Let me know who they are. So that's how I met some of his, his players, um, and then I met two other people. I met a guy named um, Elvin Taylor, who I met him through a promoter out of. San Diego. And because uh, when I asked her, she, I don't know how she was my friend. I, I have no idea how she was my friend. Uh, but when I asked her, she said, well, yeah, when you say no, Stevie Wonder, I've met him a couple times at a party. But mm-hmm. Hollywood parties are like that. You meet everybody. And, you know, it, I'm not his friend. Like if I if I tried to call him right now, you had no idea who I was. So she said, I don't I don't feel like giving me a letter is going to do you any good. But she said, I know people who do know him and who would be able to do that. So the first guy's name was Alvin Taylor and Alvin Taylor is uh, he's been doing it a long, long time. Like he was, he got his start. He's a drummer. Yes. He got to okay. start drumming for little, little Richard. Oh, wow. And then from there he he's produced and played on Bill Withers stuff like lovely day. That's, that's, that's him. Ain't no sunshine. That's him playing drums. Um, and he's produced everybody Paul McCartney, Elton John. Um, so I, I asked him about it. He said, well, you know, yes, Stevie's a really good friend of mine, but honestly, I just don't feel comfortable. I just don't know you that well. And I was like, that's cool. I really appreciate you getting back to me. But then the second guy. Who ends up, who turns out is a good friend of ours now. Yes, Elvin is a good I friend. I just thought I was going to sign up. How fun. We met, we met him one of the times we came out here before we moved out here. We got to meet him and we were, we had, at that time it was before COVID and we had talked about maybe him doing some producing for us. Um, so yeah, we're good friends with him. And then throughout, I, I met some other people. I was down to one letter. I know I said I was going to keep this story short, so I apologize. I love it. This is fascinating. So down to one letter. And I literally had contacted all of my friends. I text people. And uh, I'm down to my, my last letter. I'm like, geez. So I start scrolling through. And this guy by the name of Rockwell Sheridan comes up. And he's, he, I sent him a message, but he never got back to me. And it showed that it had not been seen. So I'm like, what the heck? Let me go ahead and just send him a second message. He hasn't seen the first one. Maybe it won't be annoying. So I said, hey, did you happen to see my first letter? And should I keep this? Is this a PG show? We can make it whatever we want. <laughs> what we can you say? It. <laughs> go right ahead. Okay. So I said, hey, how's it going? And immediately I see the three dots come up on Messenger. And he says, yes, I know that fat fuck. And I said, who are we talking about right now? And he said, Steve. <laughs> he said, Stevie, Stevie Wonder. And I'm like, 
oh, how do you know him like that? And then it turns out he's he's known Stevie forever. Uh, Rockwell has been in the industry for a long time. He knew Stevie as a child, actually. And uh, he's, he, I mean, before COVID, he was going over there a couple times a, a month to hang out and whatever. And Rockwell is now one of our mentors here. And he was the actual person to, to hand deliver to Stevie. And then one of Stevie's um, people that works for him read, read Stevie the letter. Wow. That is such a great story. Yeah. So we've become really good friends with Rockwell as well. And he's he's been somewhat of a mentor on top of just a really good friend. We've met quite a few people from that letter. Mm-hmm. Ronnie. So you're saying that letter worked. That exercise was helpful. <laughs> the point of the exercise was so many lessons. Yeah. So many lessons. And um yeah. Uh, one of them was just stepping out on faith and two is just connecting. And three was just, you know, running into a whole bunch of no's before you get to a yes, you know, yeah. a gazillion no's and then you get it one yes, you know. And not being afraid of what people think, because when you're working on whatever it is you're working on, if you want to be, do you just want to be a gigging musician or you want to be the world's best? People are going to say stuff to you. People are going to be like, yeah, who do you think you are? Why do you think you can do that? I saw you pick and save last week, like you're nobody. And you have to be able to endure that. And you have to be able to keep pushing forward because you're going to get knocked down and you're going to get people who are hating on you, usually because they've already abandoned their dreams. So they want to make sure that nobody else, nobody else does theirs either so they can bring you down with them. So that, that was a huge lesson, huge lesson. Who was the guy, somebody said, said to you like, who the freak is this person that keeps coming? Somebody knew that your name kept coming up. That was Alvin. Oh, that was Alvin? That was Alvin. He's like, who is this guy that has the audacity to be like asking these kind of questions? That's so, amazing. So, so it caught his interest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he looked at us and wanted to wanted to form some sort of partnership to start producing whatever. But yeah, he's like, I can't see this dude's name pop up for this crazy like question. I <laughs> mean, letters to you under and all of a sudden they want to know who you are <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, 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 exactly yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> they're not normal they're crazy like the rest of the people out here in, uh, yeah yeah you fit right in yeah <laughs> that is such a great story that is gold right there out of the box so thank you for sharing that with us right away oh, I love so it. so you've been out in hollywood for about three months now you said yeah yep, since december 9th we, december 8th we arrived yeah. So, I mean, and, and until that point, you've been in Wisconsin, right? I was born and raised in Portia and moved there for college. Yeah, I moved there for college. I went to MSOE. But before that, I was born and raised in Ohio, in Columbus. Okay, got it. Got it. So Midwesterners. So so yeah. what's it been like making this transition, especially at this very strange time in history? You would think it's strange. I mean, it is strange. But <laughs> um, we... Everybody's like, oh, it's going to be difficult to meet people. And it's like, no, there's this thing called what we're doing. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) If you're just as we met you, you remember how we met you was through another connection. And we got on a phone call immediately. We've been doing that a ton since we've gotten here. And so we've met a whole lot of people. Like whether it's a video call or just a regular phone call, you know, at some point when we get the connection, we ask them, can you, can we get on the, if we don't know them, can we get on a phone call with you just for some career advice or maybe 
you can just let us know a little bit more about LA. And then from there spawns more connections. So, I mean, what is it like? I mean, that that's what we're doing, you know? I mean, I know that um, we're probably not going to meet people, you know, at like venues and things like that. Like we, like a, a lot of people are do were doing, right. but you still can run into people running errands because that's the thing out here. Like you're going to see, you know, Cardi B at target. You're going to see, you know, um, who did I miss at target? Just Angel- the other day. Angelina yeah. They're like Angelina. Jolie. I was like, really? I just, I just missed it. Angelina Jolie. But you're going to run into people. You're going to make those connections um, just by, I mean, that's the thing here. Like, you don't think that until you get here, that you're going to, um, you're going to run in. If you want to meet somebody, you're going to, if you're intending to meet them, you will probably either meet someone that knows them that can get you to them. I mean, because you, I, we live in Hollywood, which is just miles away from Beverly Hills, which is mile, just a few miles away from other places where a lot of um, big household names and celebrities live. So there's still that. There's no venues, but there's still the phone and video connect as well. So um, we love it here. I mean, we've met so many people here and things are slowly opening up. The weather is gorgeous all the time. Right. You got that going for you. <laughs> a beautiful day in paradise. Like, Zero degrees like it has been here. (laughs) I was like, and I didn't even go outside, to be honest, because we were working so hard yesterday. But I was like, I just went out on my balcony like, oh, my God, it's another beautiful day in paradise. But, um, yeah, it's that's what it's like here in COVID. What else is going on? I mean, everything's still kind of shut down, you know, like the restaurants, but you can dine outdoors so you can still meet people, you know. no. Get the sense from you that um, that you're really big on networking, on meeting people. Like that that's is what I do when you get here. That's the name of the game. If you think somebody's gonna find you, you know, <laughs> you're kidding yourself. You're you're gonna waste a lot of time and money because it's expensive here to, from the get go. So the the only way people the only way people know who you are is connecting and connecting all the time, and then just being genuine with connections, like. You know, I don't know how many stories I've heard of people just being curious in a conversation in public and they get a job out of it because they're like, oh, you do so-and-so? Oh, we were looking for, you know, like our comedian friend told us that he got a a showcase somewhere because they were looking at a, I don't remember if it was a Brett Favre jersey or something. I don't remember. It was yeah. like, I got to call me out. But if you're, if you're making sure you're out and you're making an effort to connect with people, whether it's out of curiosity and like you're deliberately like, this is what I do. I'm looking for blah, blah, blah. Can you send me to them? Like, you know, all of that. It's all about connecting here, period. And it's beautiful because everyone is in the creative space, just about. Like everyone's in the industry. I feel like everyone around us is all beautiful. And, in in you know, um, they're they're either the actor, they're in film, they're in music or modeling or and everyone kind of gets they get you. They're not asking. It's not like when we lived in the Midwest, unfortunately, like <laughs> what do you really do for a living? That's a hobby, right? You know, it's not like right. that. This right. is the 
you know, the entertainment capital of the world, really, you know, Hollywood. Yes. And it has yeah. decades. I don't know. It was the start of the entertainment of the world. So, you know, it's kind of nice to be in that sort of environment where people actually get you and they're trying to connect too. And they want to connect. Like nobody's like doing like, at least I haven't met anybody that's like, no, talk to the hand. <laughs> like yeah. everybody wants to connect everybody. Even when we sell something, like we sold some stuff online and we have to meet them and we find out they're like, they want to always sit down and quickly have a conversation or, mm-hmm. you know, every single time, give you a gift. There, but yeah, it's, it's a, this is a great place. Uh, it's weird, but it's a great place. People I'm trying to tell I, you. I will, I will put the caveat on this. I also love LA. It is a great place. It, I, I will also say it is not for everyone. It is definitely, it definitely is for people who are uh, very open-minded. Like we, we were working out and there was a naked man walking down the streets. <laughs> like oh yeah, I've seen some stuff. Like, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, it was early morning too. Yeah, yeah. If anybody knows the story of Eddie Murphy when he got oh, caught. Why you got to do that to Eddie Murphy? <laughs> It was, it's literally like on, on the corner on of the almost corner of where building. we, of, cause we live in a huge complex that is, takes up pretty much almost the whole block. It takes up a block. Maybe like 70% of the block. And way over there at the beginning of that block where Eddie Murphy got picked up, we were told by our comedian. <laughs> you hear about that story? I'm like, oh, poor. But come on, it's Hollywood. I'm sure I've heard of all these crazy sex parties. I love it. You know, every man's probably and woman's got their crazy fantasy. He just got caught. Like, that's right, right. <laughs> but that's yeah, it's, not, it's definitely not for everyone. There's it's quite a bit of homelessness here, a lot of despair. And, you know, it's not it's definitely not for everybody, but it's for us. <laughs> and it's for yes. a lot of creatives that yeah. have here, you know, over the years. Yes. If you can stay here, you know. Yes. That's yeah. really the name of the game is like, can you figure out how to stay here? Get here, but can you figure out how to stay here? So do you feel like you're figuring it out? Do you feel like you're getting oh, your I'm, yeah? I'm I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I feel like we're on a high right now, you know. Let's great. What I kind mean, of things have been happening? I mean, I, I feel like when when the shit hits the fan for real, like I don't know. We haven't hit any like lows yet, and I think that's what people mean really? by you don't think so? I mean we have, <laughs> but not for real. Not for, I don't mean I I'm not talking about financially, but it so we <clears throat> We, when we moved out here, our goal uh, was to, or is to, because we're not finished, we need to create a series of four demos. Uh, we're in the process of the third one right now, recording, laying down the lead vocals, and then um, pitching them to investors. And then I think we kind of talked about the strategy about from there, building our social media presence, and then once it's strong, to, to start talking to bigger, bigger labels. Um, everybody's dream is to do what we're doing, and it is it is incredible uh it is super stressful though. It is, it's i mean it super is but stressful. i mean i love what i do so yeah, yeah. and I, I i feel grateful that i live in this beautiful community um that's why i'm like i don't feel like the shit's really the fan necessarily mm-hmm. like i feel grateful that i can get up every morning and work on the sort of thing that i love to work on you know i'm not i don't feel like i'm in a 
uh, the sort of rat race that's been created by society, but I've created my own little rat race, I guess. So I think we feel some stress in that sense, but I'm having a good time. I don't know about you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. So what was life like when you were in Milwaukee, when you were doing your music thing here? And how is that different? Well, we were doing a lot of shows. We were like on the road. We were pounding the pavement. Um, a hundred and how many? 20 ish? 120 shows. 120. A year. I mean, by the time we do taxes, we'll be like, oh, that was like a lot of shows. Uh-huh, and I remember uh-huh. back then when I started figuring out I was going online, like, because I knew at that time Beyonce was doing a lot of shows. And I was like, how many shows does Beyonce do a year? <laughs> oh, crap. We're up. Like, she was around 150. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wow. we are like really pounding pavement. So, we were doing a lot. We were on the road quite a bit. Um, a lot. A hundred of those shows were, all, were on the road. They, were, they weren't in Milwaukee. Yeah. How far? Like, how far away? Um, we would go as far as... Uh, New York City, as far east. South would be Atlanta. We went all the way up to um, Rochester the one time. Oh, that's true. We did play Rochester, New York. And then it's... We, we, except for a couple of tours early on, uh, out this far... We were most. We would mostly go as far west as like St. Louis. It really wasn't that far uh, out west. So yeah, our, our circuit was mostly Midwest, South, and East. And I don't know even know if you can see this, but I um, do. You see, this is the a map. You see all those yellow. Yeah, those, those yeah. Those places we played wow. in the U.S. Seeing a whole lot of markers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. all the yellows. So, um, yeah. A lot of places. How did people find you? How did you get the word out about what you were doing? Lots and lots of emails and calls. To, 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 I mean, number one, we've been doing this a long time. Uh, the, when we were the Charles Walker Band, I started that in like 2001. Sure. So we, I had already been doing it a long time. And you're doing it long enough, you, you have a little bit of a reputation. Uh, but a lot of it was just honestly pounding the pavement, emails, emails, calls, calls. Hey, 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 can you, can you give us a shot, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was the Stevie Wonder thing. <laughs> it was a lot similar. It was Except not as fun. <laughs> yeah. At least there was a little bit more adventure with Stevie Wonder. This one was like, yeah, kind of like your salesman, like you're just pounding. Right. Yeah. Turn over yeah. every rock. You're like. Yeah. No, good for you. Or like for the hundredth time. Hey, did you yeah. make you know? Yeah. But people were receptive. I mean, you you got the gigs. And you, were you ever using an agent for any of that? Or was it all as you? Uh, except for a few bigger Milwaukee festivals. No, it was it was literally us just doing all, all of the booking. Um, and looking back on it, I mean, you, hindsight's twenty twenty. But we we honestly were doing a lot of shows, but weren't really getting a lot of momentum. We were so busy booking and doing shows that we weren't really looking at the business end of are we really built? And I'll take responsibility for that. I'm not going to proportion that. In really looking at are we building a fan base? Is, does this really make sense? Is what we're doing effective? And then if not, what what? about what we're doing is not effective. Yeah, because I didn't really help with the business in as much mm-hmm. at Harley at all, really. I was I was 
one of the band members for a long time. Uh, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, you were like a one-man show when it came out from the business end. Yeah, that's crazy. How many calls? Are, how often were you making those calls and emails, do you think? Every day. Every day I spent about one to two hours every day doing nothing but just emailing, calling. Because, yeah, the, the, the conception of the musicians in the band were, wow, everybody, you're in such high demand. You know, you can ask for whatever you want to. Because, and the reality was, no, we were not in high demand. <laughs> a lot of getting people. Oh, yeah, because they were wanting more money. Right. I mean, they were getting paid pretty decent. It wasn't like they weren't. But they were like, how's come, like, maybe we should be making a lot more. And it's like, well, that. They're really, the supply and demand wasn't there. We were, we were trying to create, I, we weren't trying to create a demand. We were simply trying to get in front of people over and over and over again. But the demand for what we were doing was not there. So you can play a hundred shows, but if you're not, if whatever you're doing is not effective, whether it's the music, whether it's the performance, whether it's the whatever, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you've played a show and you spent a lot of time, but you haven't really, you don't have the results that you're looking for. So where did you, I mean, where did you get this drive from to be, I mean, you're, you're obviously great musicians, but you also have to have, you know, this sense for the business to get where you're at. So where do you think that came from? Well, I think that there's a couple answers to that for me. And I can't, obviously can't answer for Portia. Uh, number one, for a long time, we have had a really big vision. Um, and it's, it's evolved over time, but we, we are going to become the best pop artists in the world. And so that by itself. And that, that didn't <laughs> start till a year and a half or two years ago. Well, that was in it, but that, that's why I said it was an evolution, but we've had a vision. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't make that declaration till like not, not long ago. But we've had a, we've had a big vision for ourselves. We did. About seven or eight years. We have. Yeah. And one of the things we learned about that is you have to continually ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now moving me towards that or not? Because a lot, again, a lot of people think it's great to work for yourself and it is, but you have to be your own best boss or your, your own worst boss. And so if it's easy to sit down and eat Cheetos and watch TV, it's easy to go and hang out with friends. It's easy to do a lot of things that have nothing to do with becoming the best pop artist in the world. It's hard to get up and do exercises, vocal exercises that you've been doing for two months and you don't want to do them again. It's hard to go back to that song that's really, really difficult for you to sing and not feel like, you know what, screw this. It's way easier to go and, and go on Facebook or, or Twitter. It's hard to be able to make that those calls and reach out to people to connect. But you have to continually ask yourself, is this what I want? Is this really what I want? Because you will run out of time and eventually you will either have to go back to a regular job or you're going to be dead. And either way, what did you accomplish? What, what did you really accomplish? If you messed around, I'm trying to keep this G or PG. But it's if, okay. We already went that. Yeah. <laughs> we oh, already. <laughs> if you fucked around and you have this time to do it. And I know a lot of people have to have day jobs and I get that. But when you come home, then you're asking yourself that question. If you only have four hours in a day, because you have four hours. If you get home from work at 5 p.m., you got four hours before you go to bed. If you're not using that time, you don't want it bad enough because everybody wants it while it's easy. Nobody wants it when it's hard. So when you look at these great people, that's what they're doing. 
the what, people get up and look at Beyonce and they say, oh my gosh, she's so talented. She's so gifted. They look at Bruno Mars. Oh my gosh, she's so talented. Doja Cat. Oh my gosh, she's only like, what, 18, 19? And she's, she's so She's not. None of them are talented. They work really freaking hard to do the things that they do. Singing and dancing at the same time is not easy. You don't come out of the womb doing that stuff. It's easier for some people than others, but you have to train to do that. And so that's what most people don't want to hear. They don't want to hear that you have to train and you have to take the business seriously. That's the other thing they don't want to hear. It's not just about the art. It is a business. If Unless you want to play in your garage your whole life, it is a business. You have to look at it as a business. You have to look at what am I doing that's effective that brings in dollars? Because at the end of the day, your art by itself doesn't feed you. Your art by yourself doesn't pay your rent. It's the dollars from the people who support you that bring in the money. So you have to be real about it. And it is not just an art. It is a product that you're selling. So you have to be able to step back far enough to really or get someone in your court that can step back and say, you know what? You've been writing these songs like you write a song a day, which is great. But then you record them all. All of your songs shouldn't be released. Some of them are not that good. Or maybe you need to spend two weeks in the studio with this one song instead of one song a day now because you need to pull back and really hone the craft and hone the song. But as an artist, if you can't do that for yourself, you have to find somebody else to pull you back. Porsche is great at that. To pull you back and say, wait a minute. You say you want to be this, but listen to this. You're doing this. You're not doing this, whatever it is. And you have to continually do that. That's how you grow. That's how you become the best at whatever it is you're doing. Okay, so in a nutshell, where'd you get that drive from? <laughs> I think that was her question. Ah! Yeah. No, that's okay. I love hearing that. That's going to be very inspiring. The vision. That yeah. vision is what drives me. It's what is when I'm tired, when I didn't get enough sleep or I didn't sleep well, when I don't feel like doing it. It literally, it's on our screen. It's on our studio computer screen. That thing is on our screen. So I see it immediately. It comes up in my phone. It's on the back of my phone. So when I open up my phone, it's the first thing I see. I'm constantly being reminded of this vision. And this vision is then the answer. That's what you want. You want you want to compete with the big boys, the big girls. This is what you got to do. It's not it's not going to be easy, but this is what you got to do. And you got to keep doing it over and over. You have that's the number one thing. And then number two, I was raised by a military father. My father, <laughs> zero, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, was not a, was not an option. Was sure. not an option in our home. I got home. There was literally nothing to do except homework. There you. You don't do anything else until homework is done. It wasn't a question. When homework is done, he then looks it over. Okay, looks like you knew what you were doing. Okay, now now you can do whatever. It's time to clean your room. It's not in five minutes. It's not in an hour. It's not when you want. I told you to clean your room. I'm going to ask you one time. I won't, I won't explain some of the things that happened when I did. <laughs> needless to say, he very clearly taught me how even when you don't feel like doing things, if this is what needs to be done, this is what you do. So discipline is the, definitely the second thing. But the, the, what drives the discipline is the vision. Because unless you really want something badly. I mean, you don't necessarily need discipline to have drive. That's just another skill set. Because, I, I mean, I mean, I, I, I have a different story. Like, I, discipline yeah. what? Discipline who? Like, <laughs> that's who your story. I mean, I, I, I. I'm a Gen X kid, dude. Like I grew up with no parents in the house, like single parent mom. She's gone all the time. We raising ourselves. So, um, yeah, I've, my drive is just a self-belief and a wanting, you know, 
It's like something you want. I mean, we all want something really, really bad in our lives. Everybody always has some sort of desire through the course of their life. If it's not a gazillion desires, just think back when you were a kid or, you know, or, you know, things that you really, 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 really wanted to happen. But then when you put behind that, like, maybe I can make it happen, you know? Um, and then also feeding myself, um, stories of people that have made it happen like what did, where did they come from what did they go through how hard did they have to work and a lot of the things that I'm learning through all of that personal growth reading I'll call it that is how how I'm just like them you know mm -hmm. like we all have that same potential in us and so if I have that desire you know the universe is placed certain desires for inside of me to do, then it's really my responsibility to the world that I live in to give those gifts. And it's my responsibility to, to look at myself in the mirror and say, you have that same potential that Oprah Winfrey had and still has, mm -hmm. you know, she's just believed in herself and tapped into it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and she told herself a different story mm -hmm. than probably what her family told her. And so, you know, I don't have the discipline necessarily. Now I'm developing it because it will <laughs> it will get you where you need to go much faster. And I, I don't think that you can be a master at anything if, if you don't develop some level of discipline. Mm -hmm. But the drive itself is just that desire. It starts out with that that thing that you always wanted to do and you realize it and you recognize it and then just believing that it can happen and then also knowing that if you don't do this I ain't got a plan B because <laughs> <So, laughs> I already know plan B means when the shit hits the fan I'm just gonna go into the plan B That's <laughs> about that plan B I've learned over the years you know the wisdom that I've gotten from I don't know um again from the personal growth things that I re read or if I'm reading about you know, I always can't wait to get my hands on somebody's story that has become a master at something. So, I mean, from Kevin Hart, I've read his book to, you know, I don't know how many books I've read about Beyonce's life. She hasn't written one herself, but a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And we've read, we've read them about Stevie Wonder and I mean, Prince. And then it's usually always the same Things about, you know, the Michael Jackson I read, Whitney Houston, mm -hmm. a lot of it boils down to self-belief. And I mean, even Bruno Mars, like, well, I'm just going to go to Los Angeles. I mean, that's what he did. He's like, well, I'm just going to go there and get signed. And it's like, well, who do you think you are? Well, that's what I believe about myself. Lady Gaga, same thing. Her parents gave her a year. Like, well, if you're not going to go to college. She's like, well, give me one year and I'll get I'll get signed. What's her goal? And you know, she cleaned toilets and did what she had to do and worked all through the night. And so it starts out with that self-belief is all I'm saying. And, mm -hmm. and when you begin to see that all these household names and all these people that you think are so great, which they are, and that's because they've tapped in, mm -hmm. they've tapped into this source. Mm -hmm. They've tapped in, they believe it and they're pushing and pushing and they believe it of themselves. They believe they see themselves as great before they're mm -hmm. physically great. Mm -hmm. They already mm -hmm. see it. Mm -hmm. 
And when, when you realize that you are them, like mm-hmm. that you, even though I may not have the same skill set as my girl, Beyonce, that I can see myself at the table with her. I can see myself in the room with them. Mm-hmm. If you're telling a story that you can't see yourself in the room with them, then, I mean, do you have the potential? Yes, you always do. We all do. We all have that potential. But when you don't tell yourself that story and believe it for yourself, then it's, you know, it ain't, it ain't gonna happen. But that's what drives me is just the knowing that I have that potential and I have these, and I have the desire. It starts with those little desires. Like you don't have these desires to do things just because, you know, it's some, it because it's some meaningless thing, you know, you know, if you, if you want to build a business or become the best mom in the world or whatever it is, I don't know, become the best gardener in the world. Like that's a desire that's placed in your heart to be great at something in this life and to impact the world with it on some level. And so if, if we could all get into that place where we recognize that and we recognize that we also have that same potential, that same old potential, it's the same, it's the same source. Mm-hmm. We realize that we're connected by that source. Mm-hmm. Um, then we can all be, every last one of us can be great and it could drive us mm-hmm. to be the best person that we can be before we move on to whatever happens after this life. Cause I have no idea. <laughs> that's so well said. You both have this, uh, this visualization thing down for sure. Is that something that you have been taught or is, um, is that something that you just decided that, that you were going to do? I've been taught that I I've heard stories of people that weren't taught it. <laughs> they just did it because they wanted it so bad. One of our mentors was that way. Yeah. It's like, and so then they look back on their life, like, wait a minute, I was doing that whole law of attraction thing. And I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. Um, But we all have done that. Like in different small instances of our life. Like if you want something really bad, what do you do? You, you're like thinking about it all the time. You're like, even when we got this place, I was like, I want the place with the balcony, even though we had already signed a lease with the one without the balcony. And I was like, and I would envision it every day. And, but I wanted it at a particular price point so bad. I was like, no, (laughs) I'm not paying extra. And lo and behold, I'm in a place with the balcony. But when I look back, it's like, oh, so I think we all can, we do it intuitively, but when it becomes the bigger things, I didn't make the connection. I was taught, I was taught it. I was taught that that is really um, one of the key things is just visualizing, always visualizing. What do you want in your life? You know, visualize it, like really visualize it, like for real, like what are you wearing? Who's talking to you at the moment? You know, you know, what are you feeling at the moment? Like, mm-hmm. that's huge. and you, you, it's crazy. The stories we've come up, come across of people that are already masters at what they've done in books that I've read where they were doing the same thing when they were training for a decade to become a master and all the things that they had dreamed of, like for instance, Bo Easton, Bo Easton's a NFL. He was, he was one of the best, um, 
safeties. Mm-hmm. This was, I think it's the 80s. It was 80s. So it was kind of, I wasn't watching football in the 80s, right? Um, <laughs> so I didn't know this about him. I just read his book. And he talks about when he was a kid, first of all, this guy, this kid writes this 10, 20 year plan to become the best safety in the world when he's like eight or nine. It was ridiculous, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. It's a fun story. But he talks about having these posters of a particular household name football player that I can't think of right now in his locker. And he's looking at it every day, like he's coming at him. Yeah. And the picture, you know, running. It was a running back. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Whatever. Guess what ends up happening to him when he's in, he finally makes it to the NFL, you know. This same, whoever this household name, I can't think of his name right now, is running towards him. He's like, oh my God, is this actually happening? This is the same poster I stared at for for a full, you know, since, you know, I don't know how long he had that poster. But visualization is such an important thing. And it's not, it's something I learned. Yes, it was sort of reinforced through reading about other people's um stories and then just personal development of people actually talking about visualization. But I think it's something we all intuitively do when we are really obsessed about having something or doing something. It's already in us to do. It's just making that connection like, oh. I think for me, uh, I've done visualization for a while, but one of our mentors, he, he said, I want you guys to start doing something every day. I want you to spend 10 minutes in meditation in 10 minutes in visualization, back to back. And he's, and one of the things, I haven't told too many people this because I know they're gonna think I'm crazy, but it doesn't matter. You ask the question. Yeah, go right ahead. So one, one of the important things, first of all, before I say the crazy thing, is Portia said something that I think is really important. You have to feel. It can't just be a picture, you have to feel it. And one of the alarms that should go off in your head is, so let's say you visualize an experience or you visualize being with a person and all you feel is stupid or you feel insignificant or you feel like this can't really be, you just triggered your story. You just found out what your story is. Your story is I'm really not good enough. I'm really, this could never really, even if you all the time are talking about I'm the best blah, blah, blah in the world. But then when you have that experience, you visualize being at the Grammys or the Emmys or you visualize your kid really, really loving you and they've grown up and they're the best kid or whatever happens to be. But when you visualize it, you're like, yeah, that can never, that, that's your first trigger. You're not, you're not feeling the right thing. So even if it is what you want, you are not currently connected with the feeling of it and the story of it. So that's the first thing you have to begin to, recognize and begin to dredge up some stuff because we all got stuff growing up we learned a lot of things that did not serve us very well we were told no a lot and we began to internalize that as this is not reality because we did we are born imagining things hoping for things and even though they change over time we it's natural for us it's natural for us to dream and to visualize and to think we pretend almost 90 percent of our childhood that's what we do when we're not in school we're pretending i mean i guess now these video games but Back when I was growing up, that's what you did. You pretended, you visualized, you could see the suitor armor on you or the, the cape on you or the princess outfit or whatever you were into. And you could see it and you could really feel it. But you're told over time that's not real. And what real people do are get, quote unquote, regular jobs and they do regular things. And so over time, all of that is beaten out of us. So if you sit down and you start to visualize what it is that you want or the experience that you want, but your feeling is not there, 
you have to recognize, you know what, my story is not right. My story is saying that this, this could never really happen. And you have to begin to work with that. You have to admit it. And you have to begin to unpack it and say, okay, what is it that I really don't believe? And begin to get back to the understanding of connection, like Portia was talking about, we're actually all connected. Then from there, once you can begin to feel it, the second, the second big thing is for me with visualization is I remember reading, um, it's not the science of getting rich, it's the Napoleon Hill one, thinking, thinking grow, grow rich, rich. thinking grow rich. He talked about in his book, and I never did this because I thought he was crazy. And then I started doing it and it's not crazy. He said he used to visualize sitting down with Edison. I mean, it's the old book, Edison and, um, like Thomas Jefferson and there's a, a series of people and he would sit down at a table with them and they would have conversations. They're all Jim dead. Jim Carrey would do the same thing. Yes. There, I, I heard of an interview about Jim Carrey would go mm -hmm. to one of these hills around here, mm -hmm. these mm -hmm. huge mountains, mm -hmm. before he became a household name and he would have conversations with, was it Robert De Niro? He would have conversations with somebody. Was it Robert De Niro? I think it was Robert De Niro, yeah. But he would like literally, because he was visualizing his future for himself. He wanted to create, he understood he could create that future. And a part of, you know, his craziness, some people think it's crazy was, but a part of his visualization was him having these conversations. So he got on an interview and told people that. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't know what... I don't know what, actually, I do know what triggered it. I remember saying to Portia when we moved here shortly, shortly after we moved here, you know, we literally live like 15 minutes away from Jay-Z and Beyonce, like literally 15 minutes away. Oh yeah, I was that's totally, <laughs> I was totally like looking at their like, you know, cause that's another thing I do, I go online. It helps me visualize. And I'll, be like, <laughs> I'll be like, oh my God, look at that house. That's so crazy. You can only see like an aerial view, but then, you know, I turn into the stalker and now I'm like, now I know the, the realtor that <laughs> you know like i'm seeing different views of the house now because i'm the real deep but i told you about that but that helps me visualize too you know when i do those types of things and so there's a fine I line between stalking and visualizing <laughs> I, didn't okay. I did it helps me visualize yeah, that's fine. That's why people look at like magazines and stuff but you know now there's yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> hilarious that's funny so but yeah, me, you're that close. You are that right next to them. So from there, during one of my visualizations, I remember my one of my biggest visualizations is I dream we're at Madison Square Garden, and I don't I don't know the ins what the inside looks like, but I have a great picture of what I imagine it looks like and how how you walk through the door and there's the paint is blue and the lights are up here and I can see my name on the door and I walk in. And there is my stylist, there's my uh, costume designer, and then the, our manager usually comes in at some point. Well, one of the things that happens the, at one point is my manager said, hey, Jay-Z is here to see you. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'd love to see him. So he, he walks in and he starts a conversation with me. And then from there, that first conversation wasn't really anything other than, hey, you know, we're super, Beyonce and I are here. We're super excited to see you. Uh, we can't wait. And then from there, he left. We went, and I can remember while we were on stage, I would I looked back a couple of times and Beyonce and Jay-Z were kind of off, off to the side watching the show. Well, from there, I, I decided to visualize, I, I don't know why, that we, went, we visited them, because you showed me pictures of the house, visited them. 
And from there, Jay-Z stopped just saying, hey, you know, we can't wait to see you. He actually began to tell me things. Like today, he told me something that blew my mind. And I told Portia after the visualization, because I, I don't know where this comes from. I can't say where it comes from, but this is what he told me. He said, you need to understand that greatness is a state of being. It is not an action. He said, you're so worried about, well, I can't do this so well. I can't do that so well. This person's better than me. He says, stop it. Think about Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, when he would get out on stage, he would literally be frozen. He would literally rise up from the stage or come down or however, but he would literally stay frozen. People were losing their minds and he hadn't moved. He hadn't said no, he hadn't danced. <laughs> they were losing their mind because of his presence. And people say that about Jay-Z all the time. Like Jay-Z, I mean, he pulled Beyonce, so he's got something. It's not his look. He walks into a room and people say that all the time. Like your head snaps back. You know Jay-Z is there when he walks into the room. I think he probably, it reminds me of like, let's say, let's say the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Some people will probably blaspheme me for saying that because they hold the Dalai Lama to a certain standard and they're like, Jay-Z. But they, these people of greatness, I feel like they all emanate that level of energy. There's something, there's this frequency they're on. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. enter a room, you feel it. You're like, your head turns mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because they're not apologizing about anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of us are taught to apologize. For our greatness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, I'm really not that attractive. Stop it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or I'm really not that great. Yes, you are. And and you should be proud of it. Mm -hmm. But they they're 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 on this frequency that a lot of us are don't either we recognize it but we don't know what it is um but we all wish we had mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and they i've heard that about jay-z as well like if he when he walked in the room like and i'm pretty sure he didn't he wasn't born that way we're all born with the potential to be that it's just the story he continued to tell himself with the hustle that he had you know and the self-belief that he has i'm pretty sure will smith is the same way oh, i'm sure so and i think Part because go piggybacking off what you just said, a lot of people when they hear what you just said are going to be like, "Oh, that's so vain." But here's the thing: people who brag about how great they are are in the same position as the people who don't recognize their greatness. They're actually so afraid someone the, the imposter complex. They're so afraid that people are going to find out that they don't believe they're great. They overcompensate, and so they tell themselves this lie: "I'm so great." When in reality, if you could really dig into them, they're is just as insecure as the person who who doesn't. I mean, people that are great usually don't say that. That's great. it. Yeah, Jay-Z doesn't have to come in and say, hey, everybody, I'm here, I'm that, great. I think that was the lesson told you. You're like, you don't, you, yeah. You don't do anything. You don't, you just are. <laughs> like, that's, it's just a state the of lesson. being. You just, you already recognize it. And it's not from an ego. It's not from a place of better than. It's just, I really embody and I understand where I come from and what I am. It's just embracing your greatness, your own greatness and potential it's not yeah have. it's not the competition it's not, it's not like that i'm better it's just the, no because I, he's not special he 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 just embraced it i mean okay. we're all mm -hmm. special if you want to look at it that way but he's not any more special exactly. than than you know the kid that's struggling right now because of his own personal demons and ready to commit suicide mm -hmm. like they're all special it's just he didn't back down he's like i'm tapping in Mm -hmm. I don't know what his story, you've read some of his story, but I don't know his journey. Mm 
but he's managed to tap in. So I think that's amazing that you have those conversations with Jay-Z all the time. He'll tell me too, and I'll be looking at him. I mean, I kind of think he's crazy too. <laughs> I'll be like, but it works. It works. I'm like, okay, I'm with it though. I'm Beyonce said, uh, Beyonce always runs off with you. I don't know what you guys talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and then she takes you by your hand and you guys all run every time run, run about six years ago <laughs> i had a i had a dream that her <laughs> buddies like i woke up and we were like we you know how girlfriends sleep in the same bed type shit like it was one of those it was i was like oh my god wow i had no idea you Isn't and that funny? That yeah, time. Okay. back then though, i was like i'm not telling you when i dream <laughs> that's, that's hilarious funny. Like, are you obsessed with being your friend? I'm like, I don't know. I just had the dream. Like, I guess me. <laughs> One day you're going to be best friends and you're going to look back at this and ha- be like, hey, I, I had this dream. That. I had a dream like seven years ago. Right. I'm going to be like, girl, I had this crazy dream. And then, and then <laughs> like, maybe a week later, I saw a, a, a interview or something where, or it was a quote. She was like, I do not need any more friends. <laughs> <laughs> And then I was like, (laughs) stop dreaming that. That's hilarious. Before I had the dream of us being Mm. what we want to be now, but yeah. She'll have more room by the time you meet her. Maybe. Um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Do you have any uh, lessons that you've learned along the way since you've been in the business? Lessons. Oh my gosh. A lot of them. Probably. I know. Uh, I'm learning the bigger ones. One of the lessons that I've learned, how do I put this one? Um, There's a lot of haters out there, you know? (laughs) It's true. And a lot of people will hate on their own peers without even realizing that they're hating. I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but one of the lessons I've I'm, I've learned is that I'm always learning a lesson. Mm-hmm. No matter what or who you are. Mm-hmm. So let's say, for instance, there is a band playing at the same venue we're playing at. Mm-hmm. And let's say for instance because i've had this many times where one of like my bandmates will start hating on that other act and i'm like wait first of all you may not like what they're doing but wouldn't that suck if they were doing that about you when you were up there (laughs) number two if if you open yourself up you may get something beautiful from that performance, whether you feel like that's not your thing or not. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, I have mm-hmm. found out that mm-hmm. rather than judging people's performance or judging them or trying to peg them or whatever, like sit back and just take it in. Mm-hmm. Because when you become open is when all the lessons show up and you begin to, you, you're the fact that you have this ego that you're blocking, you're blocking off lessons and connections, you know, people that you can connect with. Uh, you may even block off a message that they're telling you through their music. Like, 
don't know. I just used to always hate that. I, I've never done it, but I would never stand up for myself if somebody was coming at me. And so the lessons that I've been learning is that, you know what? Stop judging people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. off the back or don't peg them mm-hmm. or don't peg the situation. Like, you know how you just know something happened and it really didn't? For, here's a, for instance, it has nothing to do with music. For Go for it. Uh, we're going to Puerto Rico in April for one of my <laughs> sister's birthdays, right? And I'm the money collector for our Airbnb. And I had this hard deadline of people sending me the rest of their money by actually yesterday. Mm -hmm. Well, one of my sisters, my little sister, she sends me, she still owed me. I don't remember. It may have been a couple hundred bucks. And she's a single mom, you know. She still owed me a couple hundred. But she... Like four five days ago, she sends me $28. And I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks for the the money. And I was like, if you're having a hard time by Monday, you know, make sure that I have the money by Monday. Just let me know. And then she sends another message back. She goes, LOL. I just sent you that 28 because I had to send someone else some money in. I don't know if it was Venmo or Cash App, but I had some money left over. So I thought I'd just send it to you. And I said, she said, you probably thought I was, I was broke. And I was like, well, I don't, I, I didn't think you were broke. I just thought you were like a struggling mom trying to j- juggle your money. And then I also said, I was like, which reminds me, I'm always learning that, that lesson every day. It's like, you can't, you, you, you think, you know, somebody's situation and you don't. Right. Right. You never do. You always have to give it that level of doubt. Like, you know what? They probably, you think they didn't show up because they're being a slouch and they're lazy and they're late, but maybe something really did happen. Like, you don't know. So I love just staying open and giving it uh, that, you know, some level of reasonable doubt. Like, you know what? It's probably not what it is, what you think it is. Just stay open and you'll receive the message. Not only that, but you, I feel like this sort of energy that you're giving out is, the kind of energy that you'll get back. Like people mm-hmm. will want to be around you. You're mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, uh, always judging someone or, you know, you'll make more connections that way. You maybe would be receiving blessings that you would have blocked otherwise, you know, especially with the whole musician thing. Cause it always just drives me nuts. Cause I think everybody has something beautiful to say. I don't care what your skill level is. If it back to, back to, Desires placed on your heart. If you have a desire to sing and you're not that great at it yet, I'm not judging you because you're probably going to speak something to me be- because of the sheer fact that it's in you to do. Like, who cares if it doesn't sound beautiful? I might feel some sort of energy or connection or frequency. So I'm not trying to block all that stuff off. But that's those are my lessons along the way. And that's just a life lesson. You know what I'm saying? I have a, I have a bunch of, honestly, I'm going to cheat. Because uh, these are things, uh, there, there's a friend of ours who is thinking of leaving his day job here to pursue, he has a video game channel and he also is a rapper. So and he's, he's a, they're Wisconsin friends, believe it or yes. not. Oh, fun. So he I wanted know. some advice. So I took a bunch of notes. So I'm going to be a nerd right now. Go for it. Some of these, because as Porsche was talking, things kept popping up in my head and I knew most of them were on here. Yeah. So the 
first piece of advice, because if a lot of musicians listen to this, you're gonna be like, they don't really talk a lot about music. I thought I was tuning, tuning in for music. My first piece of music advice is this, if we're talking about music. Many musicians believe if I just was a little bit better, then my audience would like me. The reality is this. The average person doesn't really know the difference between an amazing singer and a great singer or an amazing guitar player and a, and a good guitar player. What they see is passion and what they experience is your emotion or lack of. So for a lot of the musicians, that especially the more trained they are, the more they think, well, I just have to be better and then more people are gonna follow. No, at the end of the day, people don't really care what scale you're playing. They don't play how many different modes or how many substitutions or blah, 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 blah. They don't know any of that stuff. It's like if a plumber comes in, you don't spend 20 minutes. Wow, that's a good weld you got there. Boy, I wish I could. You don't think about that. Do the pipes work? Great. They don't work? We have a problem. Okay. The same thing with music. Does it make me feel some type of way? Is there something that I can sing along with? Is there something I can enjoy? That's what people experience in music. So absolutely train. I train. But at the end of the day, what Portia was saying is so true. There are some vocalists are great examples. There are some vocalists that are not to the level of somebody like Whitney Houston that can just riff and run all day. But that's not really what it's all about. At the end of the day, if you convey a great emotional story with your guitar, whatever it is, that's what people come for. They come for an emotional experience. So tap into that. Jensen Chero talks about this, that for a lot of us, when we start out as musicians, we are excited and we come to the party super excited. And we don't care about the fact that we don't know anything but one scale. And we don't care about the fact that we can't sing that well and that we're flat all the time. We're having a fucking good time. And we, everybody loves it because we're fun. And then all of a sudden we get some training and everything gets so serious and stiff that it's like, oh my gosh, I was flat on that note. Oh my gosh, I was out of time on that note. And all of the story and the emotion are gone and you're not connecting with anyone because you're so worried about what you're playing, what you're singing, that you've lost the whole point of it. Music is an experience. And so if I'm not experiencing anything, I don't care how well you can execute. I don't care any about any of that other stuff. At the end, all of those tools only serve to tell the story better. And if it's all getting in your way and you can't come to the, the party, the show, the whatever it is, with that excitement that you had when you started out, Nobody cares. That's all, all that people care about is that beginner, the beginner that doesn't care about anything. When you get on that stage, you have to stop caring about anything other than that story and, and, and conveying the emotion of the song. That's what people will buy into. Mm -hmm. So that's my first piece of advice as a music. Secondly, uh, stop setting short timelines for your success. These are lessons I've learned. Yes, lessons I've learned. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I'm still learning, especially the first one. The second one, stop setting short timelines. So many people want it and they wanted it yesterday. They want to be a great vocalist in six months. They want to have 100,000 followers on Instagram in six months. This shit takes time. It takes time. When we see somebody great, all we know is they were not great and they were great. So what we assume is one day they were not great and the next day they were great. And that's not how it works. Michael Jackson, six years old, is getting vocal lessons, becoming who he, who he is, getting dance lessons. Because he didn't come out of the womb being able to moonwalk. He, he slowly, over time, developed those skills. And it, was, it, it took all of that to, to mold him into who he was. It wasn't six months. It wasn't six years. He wasn't an overnight success. He, it took him a lot of time to be able to do those things. 
So stop thinking that if you're not a success in six months, you're a failure. It takes time. I know. I love when people are like, oh, I can never do that. I, I just don't have it. I, I, I'm just not talented enough. Or I'm like, well, if you read about the greats, you, you see all the clues that get dropped. So mm-hmm. even, even me learning about Michael Jackson through other people's interviews, like this guy would dance all the time. I'm not kidding. He would bring, this is someone, when, you, when I look at him on stage, now when I look at him on stage, I don't look at like, oh, wow, he's great. I, now all I can see is the miles that he's run mm-hmm. because now I know. But he would bring this box with him that he would dance on to all the hotels when he would tour. And he, they said he would get on there and he would sweat. He would get in a booth, I found out, in someone else's um, uh, interview, this producer named Rodney Jerkins. I was listening to his interview one day and he's like, oh yeah, Michael Jackson. He said, yeah, every time, if you recorded with him and when he would get in the booth, he would have to bring um, three or four changes of clothes and shirts because when he was in that booth, guess what he was doing? He was dancing. He was, I mean, that's probably why you were feeling all that that's coming out. He was letting everything out in that booth, like on that still dancing. And, you know, it's funny how we, 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 we live in this world of, um, instant gratification, not it's the instant gratification, but you know, you're always seeing everyone's highlight reel, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. like, you know, IG, everybody, you know, like I got all cute because I thought I was going to be on video, you know, where, you know, if you had to see me you know, just seconds before the video, I'm like, well, goddamn, she looks a hot mess. So you never get to see the behind the scenes and the kind of behind the scenes that most of us aren't aware of because in our minds, we think, oh, they just got it. They just got it. Because that's the lie that we've been told. They don't see all the unsexy, ugly mornings they're getting up to go work out, get ugly meetings they've got to endure, all the ugly, you know, there's some joy in the rehearsal, but then there's also just like, oh, I just don't want to do this. Or I've been doing this for two hours. Like I'm getting ready for something, you know, or just not getting enough sleep or whatever it is. They don't see any of the unsexy. All they see is the highlight reels. And so when you see these amazing athletes and these amazing performers, you think to yourself like, oh, they've always had that. And it's, it's such a, um, a false statement. Like it, it, they haven't always had anything. They had the same thing you had when you were little or at any age. It's just, they ran the miles and they put in the freaking work. Mm-hmm. And I remember one athlete saying he was so mad that he's like, it just drives me great. It was this Bo Eason guy. He's like, when people tell me and they tell my kid who is working hard right now, like, oh yeah, you got good genes. Like your dad is one of the fastest men in the world running backwards, even though he's like, dude, I got up at 5 a.m. every day since I was like eight Mm -hmm. to run backwards fast. That's how I got fast. You're basically, you telling me that it was just talent is taking away all the years and the hard work that I put in. And most of the world, we think that way. We think that people are just talented when it's like, 
No, these people ring in some serious smiles. They did all the unsexy stuff behind the scenes. And just because you say to yourself, like, I could never do that. You can do it. You just got to put it in time, boo. Mm -hmm. You got to put those 10,000 hours in. Like, of course you can't do it now. Why are you giving up on that job after 10 days? Like, it's so unreal. Don't, why are you being so unrealistic? Well, I should be better at it by now. Well, that's not your path. Your path is probably another 10 years. Like, just just take the big 10-year pill and swallow it. Or five years, whatever it's going to be. Like, <laughs> But that's a great lesson, though. Because a lot of us think that we're going to be great at something. And the audacity that we would have. Like, come on, really? Think about that for a second. Like, you're going to be really great at something. And all that it says is, is that you don't really understand growth and you don't understand that everything in your life is a skill set. I don't care what it is. You may have a more innate ability at something than someone else does. Like I may, like when I was a kid, I would sing a lot. So I feel like I, ha I had a little bit more innateness, but at the same time, I put a lot of work into it, you know, now, I, there was a point where I wasn't a lot of work into it. And so I realized that if there's a person that doesn't have innate talent and they're putting a lot of work into it and I have innate talent, I mean, if I ain't doing nothing, they're going to pass me up in 10 years. <laughs> Everything is coordination and a skill set, just like singing is like vocal coordination. Just because someone can't, a lot of people don't believe that, but it's true. I've seen people that cannot sing. And in 10 years, they, they, they're like, whoa, you're teaching people to sing. But everything's a skill set and everything takes time. You're not going to get it in six months. You're not. You're not going to be great. You're, you're, maybe you'll be great in about 10 years. Just saying. If greatness is what you're trying to achieve. 20. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I think. That's a great lesson, though. Yeah, it is. It is. Especially for the people that are just like, oh, I'm just so like, ah, uh, I have nothing. It's I, like, well, give it some time, boo. Yes. The second, and it work. <laughs> yes. Second piece of advice is really be realistic. Don't be realistic in your vision. Be unrealistic in your vision. Be realistic about what it is that you really want, though. Because when we were grinding for a long time, we were 120 shows a year. People, musicians will come up to me all the time. How do I do what you're doing? How do I do what you're doing? And I said, well, you have, to, you have to get real with yourself. And you have to ask yourself, what are you willing to, what are you really willing to put in to do this? Are you willing to sleep on people's couches? Because that's the difference. It's not, for a lot of people, I compare it to video games. For a video game, love it. Maybe I'll spend 40 bucks on it. I will not sleep on your couch to have a video game every night for three weeks and wonder if I can pay my bills for a video game. So if, if that's how you feel about music, it can be a hobby. There is nothing wrong. If you just want music to be a hobby, that's great. That is wonderful. If it just brings you joy, but you're like, I don't want it to be a business, there is nothing wrong with that. But be realistic because once you get in this, you really have to be in it. And you really have to understand what your motives are. And you really have to be willing. Like Portia said, there's a lot of unsexy stuff. When you see somebody do something really well, you get to see the snapshot of their excellence. You don't see, like Portia said, all of the hours they spent making booking calls, all of the hours they spent 
practicing all of the hour, all of the things that you have to do, doing interviews, blah, 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 whatever you like and don't like to do, you have to do them anyways. It doesn't matter. Like your workouts. Like workouts, yes. You don't always yes. want to do those. So you really have to be real and be honest. And, and again, embrace the fact that if you want to be a weekend warrior or you want to be a cover band, that's great. If that's what your passion is, that's great. If you want to be the best in the world, that's great. But they're not the same thing. They're not the same path. And don't mistake one for the other because the what you're going to do is extremely different. And, and so you can't say, well, I want to be a touring musician. But in reality, you just you just want to do it on the side and you really want to be an engineer. That's great. That, that's great. But be real. So that's the second thing. And then to piggyback off that, the lesson that I alluded to before that is so important, you have to assess all the time what you are doing, what's working, what's not working all the time. Porsche and I are... I've gotten really good at that since we've moved here. We have meetings every week to talk about this stuff, to talk about our social media, what worked, what didn't work, to talk about how are we feeling about we, the first question we ask on a scale of one to 10, how are we acting like the best pop artists in the world? It's not a 10, we need to have a discussion and it's never a 10. So we need to have a discussion on it. What are we not doing? What, do we, what needs work? What, what, what things are we not doing that we need to put into place? And you have to be honest with those things because if you can't, honestly assess yourself, you're not going to get better. And it's really, for most musicians, it's not about the music. It's usually, if you're trying to make this career, it's not usually about the music as far as um, your musical ability. It could be about the songwriting. It could be about the structure. It could be about a lot of other things, especially if you want, depending on what kind of artist you're trying to be. But it's not usually, for most musicians, about the, about the practicing. It's really about the assessing. It's about figuring out who your tribe is, which is the next lesson. And I know I'm trying to do these fast because I know we've gone yeah. longer than you wanted. Um, That's okay. If you, if you don't want to be a pop artist, don't expect everyone to like your music. That's, and even as a pop artist, not everyone is. I, I, I'm, always, I'm always surprised. I love Prince. But there are people, there are the drummer who is amazing, who is a great singer, a great keyboard player that we've played with. He hates Prince. He hates Prince. He cannot stand his... <laughs> so number one, even if you are going to be a pop artist, not everyone's going to like you. But number two, if you're, if, you're, if you're going to be a blues musician, that's great. But you have to understand who your audience is. And you really have to be realistic about it. Because trying to sell blues to everybody, you're going to spend a lot of money. And it's, it's a pretty, it's pretty difficult sell. It's like selling meat to vegetarians. I mean, you might convert a couple. But most of them are going to be like, I don't want this. This is not, that's not what I signed up for. So you have Wait, to. You're saying selling blues music to whom? If you try, if you say I'm a I'm a passionate blues artist, but I want to I want to be a mainstream radio. Number one, I'm not saying it's not possible. Anything is possible, but you really have to assess who your audience is, because if you don't do that, you have to figure out. You're going to be really strategic. If you want to be on the radio on a mainstream radio station as a blues artist or a old school rock artist, something like that. You're really going to have to strategize. You can really have to grassroots this thing and get all of the people, because this is the way any music builds, is, you know, you've got the people who want to be the tastemakers. You've got to get those tastemakers who are not just blues lovers, but who are really wide, wide area uh, music people to like your music, to be able to tell the people they influence, hey, you should give this a try. And then from there, you've got to get a general audience to begin to understand what you're doing because you have to understand that what you're selling has, can't be 
that dramatically different from what they what people hear. If they go on Spotify and their radio station is Beyonce or it's the baby or whoever it is, they have that station because the artists, even though they're not the same, they're similar. So you have to begin to think about your audience and understand that, well, if your audience is blues, you have to figure out how to target those people. Or if your vision really is, I want to, and I, I applaud you for this, I want to be a blues pop artist. I applaud you. I really applaud you. I, I want you to succeed. But that's a huge challenge, and you really have to take that seriously. It's not going to fall. We always say this all the time. This shit doesn't fall off trees. If you're really going to do that, you're really going to have to strategize and begin to think out of this, write your letters to Stevie Wonder. Begin to think, and I don't mean literally, but I mean figuratively. You have to begin to figure out how the hell am I going to do this? How am I going to create something that has not been created since the 1940s and 50s? How can I create a new renaissance of blues that people are going to play or rock that people are going to play on a mainstream? You really have to take that seriously. It's not, well, I'm just going to write a great blues song and then everybody's going to come and listen. That's not how that works. Mm -hmm. even, even if you had a major record level line, that's not what they would do either. They would have to begin to figure out how to strategically market you to figure out, okay, the blue, well, maybe if we got, if we got Doja Cat to do a blues song and rap over it, people would become more, more familiar with the blues form again. And then from there, we could maybe get somebody, well, I'll say Beyonce, we're talking about Beyonce all day. Hopefully she hears us. Beyonce, <laughs> maybe Beyonce could sing a pop blues song. Okay, and then from there, maybe, maybe we could begin to break it that way. And instead of trying to get you to break out of nowhere with this blues, we begin to reach out to people and begin to connect with people to get this in their brains. And I'm not saying this is the only way you could do it, but you have to think outside the box. You can't think, I'm going to write a great song. I, I shouldn't say that. You can think that way. And I'll be really impressed if you, if you, if you get results just by thinking about, I'm just going to write a great song. It's going to be a pop hit. You have to strategically figure out how to do it. You can do it. Absolutely but you have to figure out ways. You can't just simply sit back passively and think, if I write a song and put it on Spotify, it's magically gonna blow up. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. You have to get on playlists. You have to, you have to build this thing. You have, it's like touring, it's the same exact thing. You have to build your audience slowly. You have to figure out ways. How can I get a few more bodies in? Maybe I can go on the radio and give away some tickets. Maybe I can give away some free albums. But you have to strategically market yourself. It's a, it goes back to what I said before. Music is a product. Music is a product. Music is a product. You don't buy Nike because Nike is inherently better. You buy Nike because by this point, you believe it is a better product, even if it's not a better product. So your music, you have to get people so familiar. You have to get it in their ears three or four or five times before they begin to say, oh, yeah, I like that. We've all had that experience. I had that experience recently. I listened to that um, Ariana Grande song with Doja Cat and Meg Thee Stallion. First time I heard it, I was like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Then they dropped their video, their music video. Their music video was so engaging to me. I'm like, I like this song now. And now that, <laughs> took two, that only took two listens, but you have, that's part of the secret. You have to get people to hear the song multiple times. And then they begin to feel like they've already heard it. And then it's familiar. And then it's nostalgic. And then it's, oh yeah, you know what? I was driving in the car and I bought my boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. When I was listening to the song, I love this song. So basically you just have to be strategic. <laughs> you have to be strategic. You, you can't, because I mean, that's my now, biggest this issue. May, that may scare people, which reminds me of another really great lesson that our first business and life coach taught us, the same guy that would have us do these crazy things like mm -hmm. write that letter to Stevie Wonder. Um, 
is a lot of times when you do have a desire to do something or you want to get something done, you think to yourself like, oh my God, he just said I got to strategize. Well, how? I don't even know. How am I supposed to accomplish this thing? And then that paralyzes you. And then you're like, I'm not doing it because I don't even know the how. How? Well, one of the things he, he taught us, and it's a really great lesson, is he said, I want you to think of, every time you think of that question, like, how am I going to do something? He said, I want you to see yourself in a really, really dark staircase. Like, you know it's a staircase, but you just can't see the top. You, It's really that dark. But he's like, but you know what you can't see? He's like, look down. You can always see the first step. You can always see the next step. Mm-hmm. Every single time you'll see that next step. You, the next step is always there. And the lesson is, is when you are open to connections happening and things manifesting in your life, like, I don't know how we're going to become the best pop artist in the world. I don't know how I'm going to become a friend of Beyonce's. I don't know. How I, I don't know. I mean, ask me again. I don't know. <laughs> but I do know that I'm open to the next step. So I'm open to that next step being revealed to me and recognizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a really great lesson because I feel like that's one of the bigger things that paralyzes people from mm-hmm. going after their dreams, man. They're just like, how the hell am I going to... Mm-hmm. Like right now, I'm like, how am I supposed to afford Los Angeles right now? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I will be upfront with you and say, I don't, I mean, some days I'm a little scared about it. <laughs> but at the same time, I recognize also that I'm like, you know what? I'm open to the next step. Like every time I wake up, I'm like, I'm always thinking like, um, I'm manifesting money today. I don't know how, where, but I'm manifesting it. Like, I don't know. Where is it? (laughs) You know, and the same thing with my music. I'm manifesting this. I'm manifesting that. So always knowing, like, you don't have to see the end. You don't have to know what the path is going to be. Because it's probably going to, even if you didn't know it, who knows? Like, the the path might even scare you. Like, don't even give you that much information. Just be able to, just going to get there. Where's the next step? Mm -hmm. And being open to where that next, where is it leading you? Is the next step over here? Is the next step over there? You know, you can always see the next step in a dark staircase. And that's a really great lesson that he taught us. Absolutely. And, and number one, a lot of people forget that the internet isn't just social media. The internet is full of educational things. So Google it. Literally, if you're like, I don't know how to strategize how to market music, type it in. Because you would do that if you were like, I want to make a... I want to make a special cocktail. What would you do? You just go on Google and type it in. It's a no-brainer. But for some reason, people are like, oh, I don't know how to strategize. I guess that means I can't be a musician. That no. makes me laugh, though, because <laughs> when I said something about the Grammys, he's like, so, do you even Google that? And I was like, actually, I didn't. <laughs> he's like, well, you, why don't you just go on Grammy.com and figure it out? I'm like, thank you. <laughs> That's the first thing. You can Google it. But number two, if you can't find information, or there's too much information, you're like, I don't even know what some of this means. Begin to ask for help. Just begin to do, it's a CV Wonder thing. Find somebody that can help you. Find somebody that can break it down for you. To just be like, hey, you know what? If you're a musician and you've been doing it even a couple of years, you know other musicians. You can say, hey, same thing I did. Do you know somebody that knows how yeah. to strategize? 
Do you know somebody that could teach, could break down three things that I could be doing? And then that's your first step. And you keep going until I mean, you find the person. that's literally what we've been doing is when mm -hmm. we get on the phone with people, especially if we understand that they are in the industry as well. It's like, can you give us some career advice? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll start there. It's that mm -hmm. same question. Like, mm -hmm. we don't know how we're going to get there. We know that we, we made a good, we did the first few steps of getting there and also connecting with people and, you know, and practicing and putting our demos together and recording and doing a lot of this and that. But we're, we're that's what we're doing when we meet with these people is we literally are like, can you give us some career advice? And we get all kinds of, it's so fun because everybody's advice is different. Yeah. Everyone's advice is so different. and it's Right. Like, it is. Yeah. But I'm open to it. I'm open. I'm listening. I'm all worthwhile. Yeah. 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 Well, we should probably wrap things up soon here. But um, the last couple of questions I have are just like, where can we find more information on St. Ocean? Well, we are, we can be connected. They can connect to us on Facebook and Instagram. And you want to go to uh, St. St. And I know it used to be ocean. And as of, I want to say publicly today, it's Oshun because <laughs> we've been battling back and forth. Yeah. Great. Um, okay. We will call it Oshun because that is the uh, traditional pronunciation of S-O-S-H-U-N. So you're sure. going to, so Facebook, we're going to St. Oshun. That is going to be S-T-O-S-H-U-N. Same thing on Instagram. S-T-O-S-H-U-N. We also have a website where they can get a one page called, it's on www. Now that one. That one is the full spelling of Saint, S-A-I-N-T, and then O-S-H-U-N. Right, that's Saint Oshun fully. And we also have a smart link on our um, Instagram if they're, they want to listen to um, our music and that smart link will take them to whatever platform they love to listen to music, whether it's like Spotify, Pandora, Tweezer, YouTube, Apple Music, Apple Music, blah blah blah. It's like a long list, so they can um, connect. Otherwise, to you can also just search Saint Ocean, same thing. S T O S H U N. Ocean. <laughs> Gotta get used to saying that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's good. It sounds great. And then, how can people? Or actually, um. Tell me about um, Roundabout, the song that we're going to play after this is over. I forgot all about you playing a song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that song I wrote a couple of years back. Has it been a couple of years by now? The actual writing part of it? Yeah, yeah probably about two years. Yeah, so um, the funny thing is uh, the hook, just the way it sounds, it's just my, a my, one of my sisters, my little sister, was singing it on the phone to me one time when she was driving. She's like, no roundabout. She's like something about take the second exit or something. And I go, oh, I love that hook. I'm like, I'm totally remembering that. I'm writing the song is what I say. And the reason why she was singing it was because it was, she had the, Charles, what's the name of that GPS that I always forget? Is it Wazer? Waze? Waze. Have Waze. you ever heard of Waze? Yep, I have. Waze, if you put it on the boy band, because they have different voices that you can do, they have a boy yeah. band. And apparently when you're in a roundabout, he, I guess the, 
the boy band voice goes, roundabout, take the second next. <laughs> I don't, remember, I don't know what the translation is because I couldn't find it, but I remembered that. I remember voice memoing it. And then maybe, um, I don't know, some months later, um, I needed to get something off my chest about my relationship with Charles. And I was like, there just has to be, I have to write a song about this. So I that's how I wrote the song is, the song is really about the the song is honestly on the surface it looks like it's about like this guy isn't communicating well with this girl at all like he's missing the mark you know she feels like there's a big elephant there's the pink elephant in the room and you don't want to talk about it so now you're sending me on these roundabouts it's like can you please just tell me what i what we both already know like let's stop Stop pretending it's this or that. And the song, I mean, that's what it sounds like on the surface. And really what it is, is it's a song about trust. I want him to be able to trust how I'm going to respond to whatever you say to me. Like, it's okay. You don't have to hide. You don't have to feel insecure about it. You don't have to feel like, like I need an my frustration was like, I, I need a more open relationship where you're talking and you're not afraid that this person is going to judge you or say something that's going to hurt you or et cetera. So that's really what that song about is about is uh, no roundabouts, just come out and say it. But yeah, the opening line, I can't stand you right now. I mean, that's how I would get so infuriated because I knew uh, that you were like, just, he would be hiding things from me. You know, like you're hiding it. You're driving me crazy. (laughs) Both know, but you're not saying it. Anyway, that's what the song's about. (laughs) Thank you for telling us. I love it. And I love that little integration with the ways up and everything. Right. (laughs) Thank you so much, Portia and C-Dub, Beyonce's best friend. And, you know, <laughs> mentored by Stevie Wonder and all that. <laughs> Your other mentor that we yes, have. Yes. So thank you so much for being on the show today. And I really look forward to putting this out there. Yeah. This has been, you know, it's been a blast. There's so much amazing, incredible information in here for other musicians to hear. So I really appreciate your time. This episode's featured patron is Derek Lind of Pine River, Wisconsin. Thank you for your support. Listen. I can't stand you right now Three is in this damn house Our pictures all in the frame We're left in the radio It's just not the same, no, no I'm miscommunication Twisting the words that I say So dumb It's hard to love you just the same You don't understand me Demanding these tears of hell. I want you to open up your heart and feel free.
for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansadventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again. <laughs>